Hey all, I'm really excited that the Talking Adaptive PE podcast is back, and I'm also really excited to tell you that we officially have a sponsor. JustAdapted.com is the official sponsor of the Talking Adaptive PE podcast, and it is the ultimate site for adaptive PE teachers. From brief videos that are showing you best practices, to curriculum ideas, to even finding this podcast, it's the place to go if you're an adapted PE teacher. So be sure to head over to justadapted.com as I'm sure you will find it as useful as I do. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Talking Adapted PE Podcast. Back with yet another uh, incredible guest who's doing great work in the state of Colorado. I have Danielle Musser with us. Danielle, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I've been following Danielle for a number of years on Twitter. Appreciate the content she puts out. Recently stumbled across her on Instagram and she is jumping all over making reels and things of that nature. So we'll give her a chance to drop her social channels on the show here, but she's definitely worth a follow. Uh, demonstrates best practices all the time. Danielle, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your teaching history, what you're doing today, those types of things. Okay. So I'll just dive into it. I started off in undergrad, not knowing that this is what I wanted to do. I started off thinking political science was where I wanted to be in life. And while I was at Berea college, I had some incredible professors that said, you know what? I don't think this is the route for you and completely agreed with them. And they said, what do you like to do? And I said, I like to move my body. And so went it down the physical education rabbit hole, fell in love, thought it was fantastic. When I was doing my student teaching, there were there was no adaptive PE teachers uh, in the school district that I was placed in. And we had so many students uh, with disabilities and they were sitting on the sides. And I had like one of Kentucky's greatest teachers uh, leading me. And she was like, I just don't know what to do with some of these students. This one just had open heart surgery. And that was the moment for me that I was like, I've had some great schooling. And if she doesn't know what to do, then I need to figure out what I need to do to up my game. And so I started researching, learned about adaptive PE, and I said, I can go do this. And was looking at two programs. One of them was Texas Women's University, and the other was uh, University of Wisconsin La Crosse. Two fantastic programs. The year was, I would be going into school in 2013. And so, phenomenal people leading both of those programs that year, um, both OSEP grant schools. And I decided that Wisconsin might be just a little too cold. <laughs> so ended up at Texas Women's University, had an incredible learning experience there. And before I was finished with my schooling, I said yes to a job in Montrose, Colorado, sight unseen, and had never been to the state of Colorado before. You know what, though? That's uh, I mean, I think that's when life works out best. I um, I ended up in San Diego, but I went to SUNY Brockport. So, you know, that's just kind of the way oh. it goes. Um, but yeah, the schools you listed are, are two of the leaders. I think that's one thing I love about our field is that we have some non-traditional schools that are kind of pretty big in the space, you know, uh, yes. obviously there's still big names like Ohio State and Oregon State and schools of that level. But then you have Texas Women's and a Wisconsin Lacrosse and Brockport and Cortland and Westchester, you have these schools that aren't necessarily research tier one research institutions that still have fantastic, really strong programs that put out really strong teachers. You mentioned the OSEP grant. Would you maybe just speak to that a little bit about what that is? I'm not sure all of our listeners know. 
Absolutely. So the OSEP grant is the Office of Special Education Programming. And so it funds these different programs at these universities that are doing these master's levels programs. And um, so what that meant for me was that my schooling was completely paid for. And as someone from a low socioeconomic background, um, that was really important to me. Like that was the reason that I could make this happen and feel feel good about saying yes to a program like this. I didn't have the money to put towards something like this. And it made it possible for me to come out with a master's degree uh, without spending any money. And I did AmeriCorps at the same time because they also had a really cool program lined up at Texas Women's for AmeriCorps. And so that's what paid my room and board. So I, and then before that, I was at Berea College, which is a one of the last like 10 work studies left in the United States. So um, that's a zero tuition school. So I graduated all together with my master's, nothing. I didn't pay a dime. Yeah, that's unheard it's of nowadays. Um, I too yep. actually was a OSEP grant recipient um, at SUNY Brockport. So uh, it's, it's yeah, it was, it was remarkable. I was actually, my story is I was, I had done SUNY Brockport undergrad and felt like it'd be cool to experience a bigger school, you know, <laughs> and then, but I reached out to Dr. Lauren Lieberman and um, they just happened to have an opening and you can't turn down free college. So I was like, yeah, I'll go nope. back. And it was a great experience, of course. You know, I, I learned quite a bit. So, um, yeah, for anyone listening, um, the OSEP grants are out there. Uh, if you don't have a master's and want to, it's also uh, you kind of get your master's. They're not accelerated programs, but you dive in full time. So you actually get it done pretty quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would advise anyone listening. So um, I like your backstory. You kind of fell into the field. You end up at Texas Women's. Uh, you know, Claudine Sherrill's a huge name from there, and it's one of the one mm -hmm. of the best. And then you you found a job in Colorado, and that's where you ended up. So what what is the adaptive PE landscape in Colorado like? So um, we recently had someone in the past couple of years that moved out here from from Minnesota. And he had called me because he was also a Texas woman's uh, graduate. And my name was brought up. He called me and he was like, Hey, tell me about the landscape. And I said, well, the best way to describe it is it's kind of like the wild west out here. <laughs> um, and I stand by that. We're, I, we are definitely up and coming in the adaptive physical education world. Uh, there has been an incredible team on the Colorado Department of Education uh, that has worked really hard on the AP Advisory Council to push through this past year credentialing. So prior to this, if you came into the state with something out of California, like the added credential out of California, or if you had set for the APENS exam and passed and were CAPE certified, it didn't really mean anything out here. Um, but now on your teaching license, you can, you can add that CAPE credential, which is really cool. That is really great. Um, I know in New York where I'm from, uh, if you graduate with a PE degree, you're essentially certified to teach adaptive physical education. But then I moved to California and basically California does have a, does have a credential. And I only was able to get the credential because I came in with a master's degree. Um, mm -hmm. and it's just striking to me how, how much, how different it is in each state across the country, I guess, is all I'm saying, you know, one, you can Absolutely. have one thing here and it's, it's so different. Um, in Colorado, uh, like you said, like you're kind of on the come up, you know, it's, it's getting better. You're having dialogue, you're having conversations at the state level. Um, mm -hmm. does every district have adapted physical education teachers or does some of that fall to general PE teachers? Is it, how, how does that part of the landscape look? So if you're on the front range, which, so the state of Colorado, like square, right? Uh, continental divide splits it down the middle. 
So everything on the front range, I would say that there's a large amount of school districts on the front range that are getting adaptive physical education if they don't already have a strong program. If it's one of the larger school districts, they're really building and, and creating these wonderful programs. But it's still slim pickings. I mean, Jeffco is on the front range and it's a huge school district and they only have two adaptive physical education teachers. And so for the Western Slope of Colorado, there are four adapted physical education teachers in Grand Junction School District. And that's it for the okay. Western Slope. So what does that mean in terms of service delivery and kids getting the service? Um, are there, is it safe for me to assume that there's a lot of kids in Colorado that fall through the cracks and don't get the service that they need because there isn't enough? And then the second part of my question is when it comes to service delivery, is it difficult to actually implement direct service? And most of it's just through consult with case managers and PE teachers and OTs and all of that. It's a mixed bag for wherever you go. So for instance, in the Montrose County School District, when I did serve there for eight years, I was the only adaptive physical education education specialist for 15 school sites, um, which meant that it was really hard to get minutes met. When you're the only person serving six, you know, it's a district of 6,000. So it's not a huge district, but that's still a lot of time to be evaluating people, to be the one that's doing all the incoming preschoolers. Like, I mean, you know, it's a ton of work. Um, when a student would leave my school district and go to a neighboring school district that does not have adaptive physical education, they would deny the IEP, write off APE services, and then say that those minutes are being met within general physical education. Which isn't legal if it were to go that route, right? You know, so, yep. um, and you know, I think I take a lot for granted being in a massive school district and now being on the lead team of that, you know, we have we have preschool assessment teams that adapted PE teachers sit on or are part of and capture those at the early intervention level. And then we serve, we have 39 teachers spread across our, I mean, it's 200 schools, so it's still a big lift. Yeah. Um, but I think when I feel like we're under-resourced, um, it's it's all about uh, the view you take, right? So us being under-resourced, like we're still doing pretty well compared to uh, other parts. Um, mm -hmm. What's... Um, so t talk about that, because if you found a kid in your district, you would go through probably an assessment process and add services. And then if they moved, unfortunately, it sounds like they might come off. But let's just talk about your work. Yep. Um, what did what? Um, and I know you've moved on to higher ed a little bit now, but just it wasn't that mm -hmm. long. What did your what did your um, assessment process look like and identifying kids and types of assessments you were really comfortable giving? And um, what was all of that? Yeah. So for like incoming preschoolers, um, if there was someone who the parents had identified them on a checklist for a child find um, as having some motor difficulties, then the the motor that motor team of of our district combined PTs and OTs. Um, so even if they weren't a physical therapist, they also did occupational therapy because it really small is the wild west. They're just doing whatever they want. I mean, it's just wild, right? So if there was some a student that came up, then I would get invited to that intake um, assessment, you know, corral assessment or whatever some people call it. That's what they called it here. So again, Wild West reference. Um, and so everyone would be in the room and we'd all do an evaluation. Um, and if I needed to do something further, do my own test, um, then I would. Um, for elementary school students, um, TGMD3 was definitely a go-to. Um, 
APs was one of the ones that I liked for a hot minute coming straight out of school. Uh, Brockport physical fitness assessment. That was definitely in my back pocket. Um, as I got into, mm -hmm, and then as I got up into that middle school, high school realm, you know, as Melissa Bittner would say, there's, there's no standardized assessment for that level. Um, so it just depended on what I needed, um, for the different students. Um, I'd pull from, uh, just a variety of different assessments. Uh, there was one that I really liked that Ron Davis, uh, had recommended, and I cannot think of the name right now, and I'm so sorry. So just that's delete okay. that part. No, that's okay. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm only at a high school right now, but I've taught preschool all the way up through. Um, and so I still will use the Brockport just kind of as that standardized just to check that box. But then mm -hmm. obviously have a, you know, non-standardized checklist of life skills and lifetime activities and things that I'll go through with kids. The secondary level is, it's really difficult in terms of that assessment piece, not, not assessing per se, but that standardized assessment piece, it's really yeah. difficult to capture one that does, that paints a nice picture. At the same time though, I found with my high school kids, um, you know, most of the kids have had the service for a while. You're more times yeah. than not looking to make a placement change of no service. So it's a little bit easier in that sense that, you know, you don't, mm -hmm. you know, when you're trying to determine services and placement, you really need that strong standardized test to, uh, to be able to stand on. Um, and then what about your teaching when you were doing your teaching? Was it a lot of co-teaching was a lot of small group direct service. What did, um, and I know it's based on IEPs, which are individual, but what did the majority of your teaching look like? The majority of my teaching was definitely individualized. Um, I might have some small groups of like two and three, if it were students that I knew wouldn't elope. Um, as you can imagine, like space is extremely limited. Um, I mean, it's, I feel like that's, the case everywhere. Um, so anything I was doing, it's, it's a beautiful state. So like we get to do so much outside, which is wonderful. Um, and so we were able to do a lot of, a lot of time on the playground to have that individualized time that, um, was safe and in an enclosed environment somewhat. Um, what's the general PE side look like in the state of Colorado? Is it mandated at all? You know, I cannot remember I don't think that it is at the high school level, uh, but I know that like in our school district, it was like you had to get two credits of PE at the high school level. Um, but for the elementary side, every every elementary school had a little bit different timing. So some kids were getting it like two days of the week and um, some, some of the schools are every single day. So it varies from school to school in our district. That's interesting. So in California, kids have to receive physical education at the elementary level, 200 minutes every 10 days, 10 school days. Um, and then it's 400 at the secondary level, um, which technically starts in seventh grade, sixth grade still is the 200 minutes. Um, but in that two in the elementary, it does not have to be taught by a credentialed physical education teacher. So uh, it's school by school basis, if they have one or not, some will choose to mm -hmm. have like an, an art prep instead of a PE prep. And so that's something that we're up against. So in terms of providing adaptive PE services for us, it's really, it's tricky because, well, one, if the PE teacher isn't good, it's the same either way, I guess, but very rarely is a classroom teacher well-versed enough. And so you come in to try to support a student and oftentimes you feel like you could do the job better, but you can't take on 30 kids that aren't yours, right? So, and I'm sure you yeah. probably came across that in Colorado too. Yeah. 
And that was, there was somebody who recently reached out to me via Instagram and she was asking the same thing. She was like, I know that minutes are supposed to be individualized, but she was like, I'm having a really hard time with that because she was like, if it's a really good general physical education teacher, they do such a great job adapting and modifying that it's seamless for the student. But she was like, I know if that student were to leave this district or to travel to another elementary school within the district, they're not going to get the same kind of care and they would need a more significant amount of minutes. And I was like, that's a really hard question. And I'm so sorry that I don't have a, like a specific answer for that. Yeah. For me, when I'm asked similar questions, I think I always err on the side of the point you made that what if they weren't at this school though? And so mm -hmm. even though it feels like you're over providing the students, um, if they were to, the IEP needs to be placed in the hands of someone that could read it and understand it and give the student what they need for their educational needs. And so that's kind of where I err on things. You know, we can't, like unfortunately, we, uh, unfortunately, we can't always guarantee it's a strong PE teacher. It's this or it's that. So it's not an easy answer. It's not an easy conversation, but I just say, you know, legally to make sure you're covered, I would err on the side of if the student never left, what were, what are you giving? Where, or who are you handing the IEP to? I like that answer. Um, so what now you're at the, I, I alluded to it earlier, but you are, you're doing some college teaching now. Why don't you explain to the listeners what you're up to these days? Yeah. So this in 20, um, 21, I had my second child and, you know, pandemic. So great, great times there. Um, and a year into that, um, it was just pure chaos. Um, we all ended up getting sick. We all had COVID and, um, I had missed so much school having two little kids out from daycare constantly, um, that we were evaluating our finances and evaluating like what is bringing us joy and where we're at mentally and emotionally. And the answer was not staying with the school district, um, at that time. Um, it was way too stressful. And after you miss so many days of work and you don't have any more leave, you don't get paid anymore. But the IEPs still have to be done. You still have to legally be there and get, it was just, it felt like a lot. It felt, it felt like I was drowning. And so we decided what was best as a family was for me to step back for a while. Um, and so at that point I did resign mid-year, but then helped them out through the end of the year, just kind of limped them along, um, trying to continue to kind of meet some minutes, keep the IEPs current, all that good stuff and step back. And in that same amount of time, I created the Colorado Adapted Physical Education Conference. Um, and we had year two this year, which is super exciting to me. I felt like that really brought a lot of, a lot of kind of weight to the state of Colorado to APE um, to have this like central location that we could meet every year to just have three full days of, of content to, to improve as teachers. Um, and then I wrote a book um, that is now out uh, with Kindle Hunt Publishing on stories and strategies from an adapted physical education desert. And last but not least, I got a adjunct professor position with Colorado Mesa University. Um, and I teach the adaptive physical activity course there. So it's been a big, big two years since I have yeah. resigned. 
Feels like you didn't get any less busy, but I'm guessing the project <laughs> you took up um, allowed you the flexibility you needed to be there for your family, though. Um, yes. On that point, um, where can listeners find that book if if you want to? Um, where would they? Is it Amazon? Is it? Uh, it's through Kindle Hunt. Okay. Yeah, it's through Kindle Hunt. So if if they wanted to purchase, uh, there'll be print copies available in the spring, um, but right now they can get the ebook for their their e library through Kindle Hunt Publishing. Awesome. Good for you. And then, yeah, that Thank conference, um, I feel like our field is one of the just strengths of our field is that whether you're starting a conference or whether it's just in your everyday teaching, like we just figure it out as we go, right? Yeah. We just fly by the seat of our pants, but I don't mean that in a negative way this time. I mean, we come into a situation where we're like, oh, we lost our teaching space. All right, let's go see what's in the car. What can I pull together? And we still try to crush it for our kids, right? And give them the best positive yes. experience. Um, and so you did that at a, at a different level by actually creating a conference. Why don't, why don't you just give a one to two minute kind of overview of what that conference is? Do you encourage out of state people to attend? And um, is it in the same spot every year? Do you bounce it around? Just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So this conference started because there was a beautiful space near Montrose, Colorado, um, that I fell in love with, um, called Elk Mountain Resort. Um, and it's a luxury resort. And I thought there's no way in heck that this person is going to say yes to me, right? Like I was there having like a holiday dinner with my own family. And I was like, there's no way like we could afford this. And I talked to the general manager at the time, and he actually was a big supporter of teachers because his wife is a teacher. And so he gave us insanely good rates. Um, and so we were able to do three days, two nights, all food included at a luxury resort for $600 per guest. Not bad. Yeah. Not so, bad. I mean, where else are you going to get that? And so one of the other parts of, of doing it on the Western slope, which we did for two years in a row, and we're trying to aim for year three, we're, we're going to move resorts this year. Um, not exactly sure where, but I'm hoping I've got a place in mind. So fingers crossed for it, everybody. Um, but we want to keep it on the Western slope because like I said, there is a lot of inequity sometimes when it comes to the rural environments um, where you're teaching. Um, and, you know, I look at like going to like our state PE conference and typically like I always have to add an extra night because I'm coming from a six hour drive. So when it's all said and done, once I've paid for conference and food and all of that, like sometimes I'm a thousand to $2,000 in when I'm coming from a rural environment. And so that was something that was really important to me was to make it all inclusive. So that way our districts pay for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that way our room is all included in that. And then um, the other part was to just making sure that we have that access to some of our more rural people. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, it's it's similar to what NAPEC does, that they bounce it between Southern California and Northern California. You know, it's it's a, it's a similar concept. Um, mm -hmm. Bouncing back to what you're doing now, you, you talked about how you're teaching the Adapted Physical Activities course. So I'm guessing that's the general undergrad course for people that want to be PE teachers, right, to learn Adapted Activities. Yeah. Surprisingly, though, the vast majority of the class are not physical education majors. Um, most of them are all outdoor recreation. Mm. Which is great because yeah. we need we need we need recreation activities or individuals well versed in our space for recreation activities. Um, I'm curious though. I have a um, I'm certainly not trying to do away with our profession as I think we have such great teachers, but I do think the stronger 
the stronger our, we can make our pre-service physical education teachers to teach students with unique needs, I think can, in especially areas like Colorado for you, maybe less so California, but certainly areas like you can really help close that gap on these kiddos that have um, gross motor needs. What are your thoughts on that? I completely agree with that wholeheartedly. I think, I mean, that was part of my undergrad experience, right? Like I had the one class in adaptive physical education and I still walked away with, holy buckets. Like I'm not prepared to go be a general physical education teacher after one class. Like if I'm expected to have every single kiddo, like there's no way I'm not prepared for this. I do not know what I'm doing. And so I think if we can help close that gap, I'm with you a thousand percent. Like let's make it truly inclusive. Like that's the goal of our profession, right? So let's keep building on that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I even think, and maybe you or listeners have heard me say it on here before, but something in my district is oftentimes that the students that are in our special day classes, um, the teachers still need a prep and a physical education is a prep. The kids just go to PE, but it's like if that teacher, you know, you're just taking a class of kids and putting them with a gen ed class of kids and expecting it all to go well. And it's, there's, to me, there's like an ethical quandary in that, like, well, I need to be there because like, you know, to support this teacher even. So it's, it's twofold, making them more prepared, but also not just don't let PE just be a dumping ground either, you know, like actually give the kids the environment they need to succeed. Um, and so it's, uh, we got a long ways to go, but the, it's, it's, it's encouraging to hear that you're involved at that level in Colorado and helping. So that's great. I am going to transition us though, because, um, I know there's a topic that you're really passionate about and trying to spread the word in and, um, and that is parenting. And you and I were actually most recently on the panel on the NAPEC um, collaborative, adapted PE collaborative, or NICPED. Listen to me. NAPEC's so on my mind. You know why I booked my, I booked my hotel yesterday. So that's why it's I all like on it's, my it's, mind. it's like a month out. Like you're, know, you're there. I know. I know. And, uh, and so, but I, I apologize to the listeners. NICPED, the National Consortium of Physical Education for Individuals with Disabilities, great organization if you're not a member. Um, they have a monthly collaborative, which is a panelists on Zoom that talk about topics. And Danielle and I were most recently on talking about parenting and its impact, um, with, specifically within adaptive physical education. Um, and so Danielle, obviously you're a mom, so that, that answers the question of what has led to your passion here, but why don't you speak to your experience of becoming a mother and uh, how supportive the school district was or wasn't, and just the uh, added layers of anxiety maybe it provided you as a professional and trying to trying to still provide the best for your students and your family. Yeah, this was something that was really like overwhelming and scary to me. Um, just because in the adaptive physical education desert that I'm in, like I, I mentioned before, like it's it was me, lone wolf, right? So who was I gonna turn to, to like get all these questions answered? And I think that a lot of people, I don't know how it is in a larger school district, but I can tell you in, in rural school districts, you're looking at three to five years turnover for every special education director that you have. And there's not going to be a physical education coordinator in a school district of the size that I'm in. So you're looking at having someone who may or may not have had a special education role, like director role previously. Um, so you're dealing with someone who doesn't really know to tell you what to do when you're about to have a baby. Um, so it was really up to me to start talking to several different people within the school district, to talk to HR, to reach out to 
um, one of my sweet dear friends in California, uh, Jessica Baines, shout out to her because she walked me through a lot um, leading up to 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 going on maternity leave because it's like, what the heck do you do? Like, they weren't telling me like I it was on me to get my own sub. It was on me to make sure I had all the sub plans done um, and to to just print out every single IEP that I had. It was it was a lot of work. Um, well, I will tell you from a large district perspective, we're, we are able to be a little more supportive than what you got. So it's, un it's unfortunate that that was your experience, but, um, we reach out to retired teachers from our department who are still living, living in San Diego, and we can usually coax some of them into supporting, which still allows them to contribute to the IEP process because they are certified adapted physical education teachers, which is also really helpful. Um, but yeah, we'll get creative. We'll even allow them to split the assignment. So if one of them only wants to take the Tuesday classes and someone else wants to take the whatever, um, we'll get creative. So, so we can help there. Um, through your experience, have you, were you able to implement anything that is lasting in your district that will help future uh, individuals if they choose to start a family? And I'm going to be honest. I actually think this impacts you more being a woman than it would have myself being being a man. So I think it's important that we understand that perspective too. I would say that I don't think that I did. I, I hate to say that, but like I maybe, maybe in some way, just because there had been some other specialists since me within the district that have had some, some kiddos now. So maybe there was something in that regard, but um, man, it was, it was a tough process to, to really advocate for myself um, for what I needed leading up to it. Um, like for instance, uh, one of the things we talked about in our other collaborative was safety. That was a, that was a worry of mine um, just because I had some really intense students and I didn't, you know, I didn't have anyone else to, to take over that while I was pregnant. Um, and so I did have to like advocate for like, look, like I'm going to need to have someone with me when I'm working with a student, this is going to be the person that is going to have to actually like physically go like be in closer proximity to the student because I am too worried that I'm going to get physically hurt. That makes sense. Um, if, if anyone's listening and they're, they're either pregnant or they're going to, they're trying to start a family and I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. So it's okay if you're trying okay. to get the wheels spinning, um, but do you have any top two, any, you know, top three or five tips that you would give them of things to, Hey, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. And obviously every situation's unique. Every state's different. That's kind of the point of the podcast, but any, you know, what's your top five of like, make sure you're buttoned up here or do this for yourself or whatever. Yeah. So I would say first off, like meet with HR and I mean, you don't know until you're pregnant or till after you have a kid, sometimes what you need because you don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I was extremely nauseous, um, the entire pregnancy, um, to where like I would have to stop and throw up like a couple times throughout the day. So, um, I would just talk to HR and like talk through some of the possibilities of things that might come up. Um, and so advocating for, Hey, like if I have some violent students, can I make sure that we get an additional paraprofessional that can help me out or, can I make sure that I'm asking the teacher to meet with me during this time? Um, another thing would be to find out how your district does the maternity leave subs. Are you going to be supported and that they're going to help you? Or are you going to have to find that yourself? Um, if you have to find it yourself, I would definitely like 
if there's anybody retired from your district that you could utilize, um, what are your state's protocols? Uh, can it be a general physical education teacher or do you have to have someone that has a, an added authorization? What does that look like? Um, and then once you've got your maternity leave sub, have them get paid to come meet with you leading up to your leave. So then that way you can walk them through procedures so you can give them keys so you can get them in buildings because there is nothing worse than being on maternity leave and you're in the hospital, you've just given birth, you're exhausted. And then someone's asking you what your codes are to get into your shed or something. That's just the worst. Absolutely. Um, and then, oh man, uh, pumping space before you leave, Find out about what you're, and you may not even pump. That may not be something that you want to do. It may not be something that you're able to do. Whatever the case may be, at least try to like get that lined up before you go. Um, because if you have to line it up at 15 different school sites, that is like magician's work to get that all designated. Um, so definitely try to have those conversations before you leave. Because when you come back, I know you're fatigued when you're pregnant, but when you come back and your brain is just complete mush from being awake at all hours of the night, you're going to be really thankful that you set that up in advance. Um, did you feel so you had to put a lot of legwork in, but did you ultimately end up feel supported by your district or, or did you feel alone? Like, what were you feeling when you were going through that? I felt really alone. Um, I, I, they did throw me a very nice like baby shower and stuff, but um, it definitely felt felt very alone to like try to be navigating and planning for all these things that I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. Um, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. Um, and then the other thing that like felt really not fun was navigating the pumping scene afterwards. Um, I wasn't given a designated pumping space. Um, I like, especially at the main office, like I could kick my boss out of her office and then use her desk to pump. And then, you know, she was then displaced without having a place to work. Staring at her family pictures while you're trying to pump, right? So yeah. So that didn't feel great. And then I did advocate first, I was in like an open air cubicle situation, but no cubes. Um, so I did ask for like walls around my desk, um, which then were taken from other people in the office uh, to move over to my desk. Um, but even with that and then putting up signs that said like pumping in progress or things like that, um, it was really nerve wracking because like, you know, my first pump was like a loud model. So then like people would be like making a bunch of like silly comments about like, oh, like, here we go, milk cows going again. And it's like, that doesn't make you feel good or positive. Um, and then I also had two different people um, come lift my pumping cover while I was pumping in the office, um, because they thought a baby was there. Um, so As if that makes it okay, uh, though, as if that even remotely makes it okay to do that. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so definitely like, a lot of anxiety around like pumping for me, like when it came to like being at work. Um, so when I did have my second child, I was like, I like, I'm going to pay out of pocket and buy like a pump that like goes in my bra because I was so uncomfortable, like being at the office and being in those situations. Yeah. I think if there's one thing 
that listeners could take away is especially those that are not women um, to just be supportive and empathetic and all of those things. Uh, it's a little surprising to hear they couldn't find you a space as if you were the first teacher ever to have to do that. So I would have thought that they would have been like, oh, uh, Miss Smith just had a kid a year ago and she used this space. Why don't you use that space and we'll set it up. So it's a little surprising to hear that you had you had such a hard time. Uh, what is maybe maybe it's the same as your five and you don't have to give me five. But is there is there one thing you wish administrators would know or understand for expecting moms? I think that they should understand that when you have a specialist in your district, especially if it's like the only one or you only have two, know that like they are a rare find and that we need to support them as best as we can to keep them because nobody is like knocking down doors to come out to some of these rural locations. So if you have someone and they are good at their job, you need to make sure that they feel supported in that time. It can be really scary. It can be isolating. Um, so how can you best support them? If that's a monthly meeting to like really dive into like how they're feeling, because sometimes they may not want to open up because they don't want to feel like a burden to the district. Um, just having those like meetings with them just to check in. How are you doing mentally, physically? Um, is How can we support you as the district? And then what would you tell expecting parents um, how early should they start looking for daycares? Ooh, yeah, this is, uh, I think this is across the board. I don't care where you are. I think you should probably be on the lookout like a year in advance. So you may not even be pregnant. I definitely wasn't pregnant before we had already like picked out our daughter's school. And depending upon your state, there might be financial aid available um, based on whether you're a teacher or if you're a low income family, or if um, like in the state of Colorado, we now have universal preschool. So um, you get 15 hours of free preschool per week. Yep. And California is actually going to universal TK. So for four weeks, um, by 25, it has to be implemented. So my district actually jumped in head first right away and it's full day. Um, and there's two teachers in a classroom, a preschool teacher and a kindergarten teacher. Um, and then the district my daughter's in, which is the district right next to San Diego Unified, um, mm -hmm. there is, they have taken a slower approach where they're just extending their window every year to then grab mm -hmm. kids. Um, and she is, she's an, and she has two adults in her classroom. One's an aide and one's a uh, former kinder teacher. So it's still a nice situation. So, uh, two That's adults wonderful. every 12 kids. So, so yeah, California, any Californians listening, if you didn't know universal TK is state mandated right around the corner. So, uh, Pretty cool. Um, Danielle, I am going to put you back on the spot a little bit, and I'm going to ask okay. you what I call the fast five. So you just give the first first answer that comes to mind. You're going to have to, you can take a blend of your now collegial or college teaching experience and also when you were in the field still. Um, what was your favorite piece of equipment? Oh, a favorite piece of equipment and still is right now is the airlight ball by flag house. It doesn't have a bladder in it. And so it is just like that parachute material, but it holds air for a solid amount of time and they come in all different shapes and sizes and widths. And I just, I love that piece of equipment. Yep. It's great for volleyball and anything quite honestly, but, um, oh, yeah. when you're teaching, what's your favorite app that you use for teaching? Um, Honestly, like this one, I just love using the video, like just your video camera on your phone, because you can slow it down, you can play it back, you can 
throw it up on a screen, you know, as you go into a classroom and show your student, like, this is a skill that you're working on and let them see it in like real time. And so for me, like, I know it's not like an actual app, but gosh, I love just videotaping. I've used it um, with permission, of course, for all of my listeners, but it was really helpful in assessments at different times for me, especially those standardized yes. ones. And you're like, did I catch everything I needed to catch? Um, yes. Again, make sure you have permission though, not telling everybody. All right. Similar to the first one, a little different though. What was your best? We often have to buy our own stuff, right? So what was your best teaching purchase that was under $100? Oh, under $100 PVC pipe. I mean, You're PVC so pipe, right? irrigation pipe, like you can use it for everything. Um, and I am personally not very good at constructing things. And I say my best skill set is asking other people to build things for me. I, I am the least handy person ever. So I appreciate that. Um, one thing in your teaching bag, you just cannot live without. Poly spots. Like, I know that's such a generic answer, oh, but, but, but you need them. Uh, it just, it helps contain, but it also like can be turned into equipment. It can be used for relays. Like, I think like to me, a poly spot is where it's at. Like you could never go a day without having one. And then last question before we give you the rest of your day back that you've been so generous with your time. And you probably have to do this all the time now with your new role, but what is the best piece of advice you'd offer another teacher? This is going to sound really silly because I hated hearing this myself, but you have to go slow to go fast. And trust me, when I was 24 and I heard my special education director say that over and over and over, I could have screamed. I hated it. But you have to go slow to go fast. You have to slow down and take, take it all in. So take account of what your program already has. Really go through your equipment closet and inventory what you have and how you could use it or how you could use it better. You, when you go into a school, take the time, take five minutes and talk to the people that you're like working with. And sometimes I know that when we're all so stretched thin on all the things that we have to do every day, that can feel like almost painful sometimes to like have the small talk, but it really does make a difference and people remember who you are and they actually like care about you as a human being versus if you're just automatically going in and you're asking for the student and you get the student, you do the services, you leave. Take the time to get to know people. So slow down because I promise you when you start to do those little things, then people are more apt to help you when you need help. And trust me, once you become a parent, you're going to want all the help that you can get um, to have that village surrounding you. And that village looks different for everybody. Definitely. Here, I'll, I'll give you a twist on it. Maybe you'll like this version better, but be quick, but don't hurry. That way it's mm, not no slow. I like so. that. So there you go. Maybe okay. it's a little twist and you're like, all right. No, but it is great advice. I know exactly what you mean by it. Um, Danielle, where can people find you? You are a share of, sharer of information. It's a bit of a tongue twister, uh, which I really appreciate about you. So where can people find you if they want to um, see the work you're doing? Lately, you've been putting out a lot of videos of what you're doing with that adapted physical activities class. Um, but mm -hmm. where can people find you? 
they can find me at Musser APE. So it's underscore APE. Um, I do have a website. I've got my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I would say right now I'm the most active on Twitter. Um, and just recently had a reel go viral um, from a little game that I played um, in our adaptive physical activity course. And oh, there was a lot of haters that came out of the woodwork on that one, which I thought was really. That. I saw your post about that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. It's I tell you what. So, yeah, it's it's wild what people will say with their Twitter fingers. They're super brave, you know, oh, so yeah. TikTok fingers or whatever it might be. But um Danielle, awesome stuff today. Appreciate you taking the time. Um and I look forward to connecting with you in the future and uh have a good one. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it.